Hey, thanks for listening to Everyday Greatness. It's a nice little show brought to you by our major sponsor, ARA Group, an employee-owned company that provides essential services for your facility and infrastructure and is one of Australia's biggest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness isn't rocket science. We're just trying to make you feel proud again of simply being a good, solid human being by speaking to some real people who found that the strength they needed to deal with any challenge in their life had been inside them the whole time. The ARA Group is proud to stand alongside Everyday Greatness, and we all hope that you enjoy the show. Simply trying your hardest and being proud of yourself these days doesn't seem like it's enough to be proud of the life you're living. But our next guest on Everyday Greatness, Ellie Dodds, is proving that is more than enough to be proud of the life you're living today. Ellie is just giving life the best crack she can. An incredible human being, Ellie has done some really cool things. She starred in several films as an actress, and she's even given stand-up comedy a crack. But Ellie travelled the hard road to get to where she is today. The intense competition and pressure to be perfect as an actress has been hard to cope with. For any person who just, especially for a person who just wants to be a good, solid human being and give a bit of kindness back to the world. But those struggles haven't been enough to stop Ellie altogether. She's still taking life on and doing it by just trying to be a flat out nice person. In a world that needs trophies, credits or starring roles to think they're successful, Ellie takes pride in just adding small goodness to the world every day. She's a loving daughter, a good sister and friend, and a proud advocate for women in the arts. Ellie is just focusing on the game plan and having faith the result will take care of itself. Being in the acting spotlight hasn't been easy though. Ellie's faced challenges all all along the way. But by overcoming those challenges... Ellie has found all the strength she needed had been inside her the whole time and she's doing it all bloody well. Ellie may have no idea what the result might be but she's continuing to try her hardest and be proud of herself and he's just a nice human being and it gives me all the pleasure in the world to say that Ellie Dodds joins me now on Everyday Greatness. Ellie, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Barnes. Um, it's a privilege to be here and talk to you as well. <laughs> you oh, know I love you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> so you have tried stand-up comedy to help raise money for the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse Cancer Treatment Centre. Did you think you were funny? Um, no, I didn't think I was very funny and I didn't particularly want to do it, but you were sort of relentless in your pursuit. And then I think I said no and someone else dropped out and so I just sort of did it at the last minute. Um, no, I didn't think I was funny, but a, a lot of friends have said that I'm not funny, ha-ha, but funny as in it's not um, automatically obvious what I'm about to say in certain social situations, like sometimes not even to me because I can talk really quickly. So I thought I was kind of sort of funny, but I did have fun. So that's positive. That is good to hear. <laughs> Let me ask you a question about acting, the acting world. When people say they've made it as an actor, what does that mean? Where have they made it to? Um, I don't know. Like I can't speak for everyone, but I think it probably speaks to a sense of realising 
um, like an inner personal ambition of, um, and this is sort of like a tricky um, definition to go off, but like um, becoming someone or becoming something through your actions, which yeah. I think um, maybe in like a tangible sense, it means you like uh, that's your trade and you make money through being an actor full time. Um, and you do projects that you can choose and that you're connected to um, and that bring you, you know, a deep sense of fulfillment. But yeah. also I think there's a sort of definition that you've um, become someone which could negate the fact that you already are someone. So I think it's kind of a funny, um, like, catch-22. Like, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean and like everything yeah. else in the artistic world, it's a very odd thing. So do yes. you feel like you have made it? Um, God, no. I think I read this quote once that it takes 10 years to um, make an actor and I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I thought it was sort of like technical, like prowess and sort of – but I actually think um, the uh, I probably like made it through the rejection aspect. So it's taken 10 years to um, sort of like will me into – understanding that like that's the way it is because I did this play when I was like 16 and I was still in school and it was like at the Sydney Theatre Company um, and it was just like an open audition and I ended up getting it and then I got an agent and I remember thinking when I was 16 like very naively like oh this is great I'll just do these plays for the rest of my life (laughs) and you know like have a great time thinking that that would be um, how it would be and it was kind of um, you know grossly distorted from that like I would say um but it's still been I I feel like um I've more or less sort of realized that it's my trajectory and stopped thinking that it's something that will happen to me um more something that I love doing and that will do and will pursue because it's sort of um like a deeper passion than um like an extrinsic result although that is like important that does sound very deep. That sounds like <laughs> life you. in general. Like people think that to get life, to be comfortable with who you are in life, you can just yep. think differently tomorrow than how you were today and be someone yep. else. But it's exactly yep. the same as being an actor. It takes you 10 years just to try and try and try and fail and struggle. Yeah. And Partic- yeah, and particularly when you can have successes, you think that that will change who you are. But yep. like, just like in life, wherever you go, there you are. You're still the same person. You still have the same flaws and setbacks. Um, you still have the same insecurities. Um, it's just, I think, yeah, I think it's similar to life. It's more a process of becoming comfortable with those insecurities and who you are rather than looking um, outwardly for people to affirm or say you're this um amazing person because that's not um that's not real or right or isn't going to help you warm to yourself which i do think life is about you know you're a very wise person ellie dodds oh thank you oh thank you (laughs) one of the things you're working on on your trajectory right now is a project for mcgowan films tell me about that one what's that all about um, it is a, I was living with a friend of mine who is a comedic actress and she makes her own work. Um, and then she had a meeting with McGowan Films about some ideas and I had this idea while I was running one day, it just sort of popped into my head. And I think in that meeting, 
um, that idea came up. And so she sold that and then kindly kind of, because I wasn't doing anything, like it was COVID and um, I had kind of landed on like the skin of my ass really. Like I had this sort of yeah. scaffold in my life really where <laughs> I was like going to like three auditions a week and like it, it, my whole life was sort of contingent on the fact that I would kind of get something and then I would stop like waitressing and um, like all my troubles would kind of eviscerate and then COVID happened. So, and then for two years it was like, well, that's not happening either. So what, what are you going to do? And I didn't really, I don't think I really had any proper interests outside acting, you know, everything that I was doing was kind of in support of that aim. So it was in a lot of ways, it was a very interesting time for me to sort of um, evaluate where I was going. And it was really hard. Like, to be honest, I was very depressed. I was out of sorts. I had to really restructure things. But anyway, I was running and I, I had this idea and, you know, she ended up fortuitously kind of saying that and then it got sold and then she asked for my help. And so since then, um, I've sort of found a new way and it is sort of grueling. It's very relenting. Like we're just sitting in a room banging our heads against the wall trying to come up with sort of a TV series just with one other person. And so it's mercilessly hard on your ego because you can get things so wrong and right. But we've just been sort of bashing out this idea. Essentially, I don't want to go into it too much, but it's sort of about an individual triumphing in like a conformist environment and it's it's a sort of a but the show itself is um it's sort of interrogating um the fear around female desire and sexuality um right. through kind of like thriller and um crime so yeah so that's is that too much that's that's sort of a good um uh that's like intriguing enough I think. Teaser, yeah. Well, yeah is there anything a lot, a lot of people listen to this and wonder what the hell it is and where they can see it and what it's called. Have you got any details, uh, or is it still a bit too embryonic? I think it's a yeah. It's I think yeah. It's still very developmental, but I think it's a six-part, thirty-minute show, and I think the idea is like to pitch it to like a streaming platform. Right. Um, so well, yeah, when, so when you have more that. details, I'll get you back on and you can give it a massive plug. Okay, all right, sounds <laughs> good. I'll do that. So, Ellie, you've worked in the acting world for quite a long while now and yeah. met a lot of people along the way, including Kate Blanchett. Who do you admire as people that the world see as celebrities, people that they feel like they know? Who do you admire yeah. as just flat-out good human beings that you've met along the way? Um, I kind of struggled a little bit with this question because I think um, – actors are meant to be kind of shapeshifters and not too much like um, political figures right. or, but I do, um, there are people kind of more broadly speaking that um, have sort of struck me maybe just in terms of their um, like personal constitution, I think, and sort of bringing something quite authentic to the world and actually um, kind of standing for something. And so yeah. I had this fascination, fascination when I was younger for um, Orson Welles. He was a director and an actor Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like a very brilliant conversationalist and seemed to have like this very deep, um, vibrant and kind of spontaneous sense of humanity. He has this interview with Michael Parkinson, which I think I've watched like 30 times. It's just so um, off the cuff and kind of tender and I think he uh, observes people really brilliantly. Right. Um, but I also loved Amy Winehouse. I thought she was really truthful about herself. Yeah. Um I love Paddy Mills. I think what he's done with um, 
basketball is just incredible and also his skill and determination and particularly um, as a not very kind of tall player, um, his teamwork and the way he seems like quite connected to the game and wants to do things with the game. I find that really interesting. Um, Robin Williams, um, Peter Weir, who was a director, he directed um, Dead Poets Society, um, Master and Commander, uh, Witness, uh, Gallipoli, and Picnic at Hanging Rock. Like, I think he was incredible just in terms of like a young Australian director who kind of came in and started making films that had these big notions about humanity, but the smaller scenes in his films they're so intimate um and like say just say a lot about who we are as people um and i would i would be remiss if i didn't um talk about my parents who are um you know very um they're quite like cerebral people and they're quite um i think they're both eccentric people kind of Mm. offbeat in a way but they do every time they like encounter someone, even if it's like someone in the shop or in the streets, I believe that they give them like their full attention. And I think yeah. when I was a kid that really rubbed off on me to um, really focus on someone and give them your time and sort of be present with them and, and sort of, um, I don't know, just I think they both kind of draw people out in really interesting ways and want and notice things in interesting ways. And so, yeah, I think I I really admire them. Very true. Sorry. Uh- <laughs> Cerebral is a very politically correct word to say for them. Hello, Joy and David. <laughs> so my mom, you, my dad. <laughs> you mentioned that actors are shapeshifters. Can yes. you take us behind the curtain to a certain extent, uh-huh. pardon the pun? Can actors just be nice people and get ahead? Um, I don't think people can be nice people and get ahead. I think life is a combination of skill timing and luck I think there are people who like in every industry people like working with people who they like uh you know like um people like working with people who they feel are kind of similar to them and sometimes that results in lots of people working together and doing things but it's such a subjective um career but in a in another sense of course you of course it doesn't hurt to just like in life, be nice, be on time, um, not throw your weight around, um, invest yourself in um, work. It's interesting you said the word nice. I th- I've always thought nice and kind are two very different things. I think right. nice people are kind of pleasant, um, kind of don't really um, rock the boat too much, but they're kind of agreeable and sweet in a way. But I always thought that kindness is kind of really thinking about how you want things done based on everyone involved and uh, kind of I think it's kind of a deeper word. I don't know. I've always thought that. But, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think it can take you so far, but uh, you do have to have, whether it's with the director or with the part, something ineffable and kind of magic that you can't really speak or say about that draws you into either that person or that character that it's, it's something so unsaid that, yeah, you need to have that affinity with either the director or something on the page, like with um, like, yeah, like with Robin Williams in the, in Goodwill Hunting, like the psychiatrist, he has that depth of humanity and kind of warmth 
so much so that a young boy with like a really traumatic past feels like he can trust him. You know, you have to have that something other to, for it to kind of, um, for the character to kind of illuminate, I think. Yeah. Um, so I would say that. You, that's a very good answer and you say it very well. So oh, thank you. In saying all of that, does that mean that being an intrinsically good person is a waste of time? Does it get in the way of finding extrinsic success? Uh, no, I don't think it's a waste of time because anything and, – and when I was younger, I sort of – just even in my life, I sort of probably did shitty things and uh, you, you anything negative that you do, you have to wear and make sense of and anything positive or sort of good-natured or sort of from the better part of you that you do and impart onto the world. I know it sounds like susical and very soppy, but it, it will rub off on you on you and others. Anything negative or um, bitter, you know, like I think when I was younger I sort of was quite, um, what's the word, like questioning of why certain things didn't come to me yeah. or kind of comparative about other people. And I had to wear that energy, which I think is quite repellent, you know. You really... I think the older you get, the more you sort of get to know yourself and um, know that you can only do what you can. So, no, I don't think it's a good – I don't think it's a waste of time. I think it's um, one of the most valuable things you can do because at the end of the day, regardless of how well you do or how people see you, um, all you can be really reflective of is the things that, that are in your control. And if you do good things, you'll have, you'll have a – a positive positive regard for yourself which is um what's the word which is quite a weapon in terms of um going after what you want and feeling like you deserve things um again so. very well said ellie oh thank you so let me ask you a bit about competition uh, competition in auditions in acting uh scenarios how intensely yes. competitive are those auditions are they as bad um, as the rumors make them out to be no, they're not bad. What's bad and horrible is the silence around your work. And you don't, it's not like in the movies, you don't go in and there's not, you know, some tall, blonde, beautiful girl who's like, hey, you know, they're not like, <laughs> or like, like, hey, um, good luck in there. You know, I hope you have like an amazing, t you know, like, like um, scowlingly or anything like that. It's not like that. You go in and you submit your work and it's actually the silence and void around whether you're meant to do this really, um, you know, if you look at the odds and stuff like that, this kind of stupefying thing. And it's sometimes you can, you can get really positive feedback for a really long time, but no like uh, conversion, you know, yeah. like if you think of like a rugby game, like you can be a really talented <laughs> side, but you're not harnessing the, uh, you're not converting, you're not doing anything. And so the silence and the void of it and the isolation of it, which was particular in COVID can be, really trying and you can um you can start conceiving of things about yourself that you know like that you couldn't possibly you know I'm it's because I'm this it's because I'm that you know which aren't there are so many variables in someone picking why I, again as to what I said back you know talking about like goodwill hunting or something like that it's something yeah. ineffable sometimes or sometimes it's something political or sometimes it's something just so subjective but whatever it is it's so out of your command and that's a really 
difficult thing for a young person to grasp. I think elderly people grasp it better because so much stuff happens to them in life that they learn to let go. But um, I wouldn't say they were, I wouldn't say they were intense. The, it is competitive, a competitive industry, but I don't think it's um, sort of um, like scathing, you know, like a, you know, like um, kill or be killed or I've never had um, situations like that. To right. That's very interesting. I yes. thought it was just, like you were saying, like the real bitchy blonde hair. I maybe in America, maybe right. sort of like, you know, like, um, but no, I haven't. I've had, I've had like sort of sets, been on sets where it's been clear that one person is sort of dissatisfied with what they've been given and kind of um, doing strange things to kind of accrue more attention or shots and stuff like that. Yeah. But back to what I was saying um, that behaviour really mocks the individual who's doing it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And it's so obvious, you know, like, um, so it really is good to just do what you're asked to do when you're asked to do it and not much more unless you really, unless you really have some brilliant idea which you can only suggest, right. you know. Um, yeah. I must say, just going back to the start of your, of your comments there, I, I love the use of the rugby game metaphor. Oh, thank <laughs> very you. Yeah, good I'm metaphor. going to the rugby tonight, so <laughs> I'm very much in the zone of thinking like that. I'm very excited to see Australia, hopefully, beat yeah. England. Yeah, so <laughs> you're still giving life the best crack you can, Ellie. What are you up to these days? Um, I'm writing the show. Um, I'm doing voiceovers. I would love to make my own film one day and I'm still auditioning. So I'm auditioning for things in the UK and here. Um, and so, yes, I haven't had a job since 2019, like a proper job. So, um, yeah, I, I still need to convert. But in the meantime, like I don't think that COVID period where I was kind of down and out was really bad for me. I think it was actually very um very good for me i'm quite an anxious person so in terms of like that was like you know um obviously like i'm a very privileged person but that was like the worst thing that i thought could happen and i survived and i'm still here and i'm you know quite happy to this day so so was that um, a very I, sorry to interrupt was that a very thinly no. veiled plug do you want employers to give you a call no, <laughs> no, that's so terrible. No, I wouldn't think that. You just asked me what I was up to, and then you were like saying, like, you know, people are like I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and then I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be dishonest. Yeah. <laughs> Fair I'm enough. Not doing Authentic. I'm doing voiceovers. I'm doing voiceovers for NIB and Airwick and um, Bird's Eye. I think so. Those are my crazy plugs for you. Well, they are much better <laughs> companies for having your involvement. <laughs> So what kind of challenges have you confronted because of the pressure to succeed in your acting career, especially when Uh, you were struggling during COVID? Yes. um, So, yeah, I don't really talk about this too much, but when I was – I had some early success um, and that was really, really terrific and kind of emancipating for me. Like it was very exciting um, being young and working and dealing with adults and still being in school and having a relatively firm trajectory. You know, I think leaving school is all about finding grey areas and, um, you know, um, confronting the, more or less the ambiguity of life. Uh, and so yeah. I was kind of protected against that. Um, but I was in um, – I was working quite hard and I, I really wanted it to happen. Um, and I think there were sort of other variables in my life, but I did – I think in a response to the rejection 
I didn't really know how to metabolize it, you know. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really confront the rejection head on, you know. I was very, and still am to this day, I was very, very sensitive. And I don't think I could, yeah, I don't think I could really handle it. So maybe I developed I developed a sort of an eating disorder more or less to, um, like I'm looking back on this kind of reflectively um, yeah. and I would would speak about this sensitively because it's a very rampant issue. Um, but I think I dealt with it to um, bolster my ego and anesthetize my um, insane nerves, you know, yeah. I thought. And um, I think I developed ideas that if I was a certain weight or looked a certain way that I might get ahead and um, I really I really regret um, those decisions. I think I was trying to make a sense, sense of a lot really, really young um, yeah. and it was sort of a negative technique of processing the shame of losing all the time. I just felt like I was losing all the time and it was really hard and I didn't have, you know, I think financially it's a very um, tough industry and I didn't, I, I just felt particularly when people my age were kind of going off to uni and traveling and really starting to establish their lives. I think I sort of turned to it in a, um, in a way to kind of, and it was sort of this voice that was telling me through like limiting my food intake that I wasn't losing, you know? Right. And so, uh, it put me way, way, way out of touch with my friends and myself. And I think my family to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was only when I started to confront that, that I started to get back in touch with myself and why I really wanted it. Like talking about sort of like, yeah, just a shift from extrinsic success to what it actually, um, sorry, I'm being very soppy now, but how it actually fed me um, in terms of my nature and kind of how, how it fed my soul versus yeah. what I wanted and how I wanted other people to see me. You know, I was just so young and so insecure and I didn't have any dialogue with myself around it. I think being an actor is about being or being, being any type of artist I think is about being and some my best friend told me this she said it's about being really really sensitive with yourself when you have to be right. and really really hard and accountable with yourself when you also have to be you know like it's sort of it was hard and I didn't really know who I was so that was a massive challenge for me um and and it was sort of largely self-imposed um I think the pressure particularly I would say both sexes now like if you look on social media but the um, pressures of aesthetic on young people yeah are so um what's the word not insidious but kind of it just feels like it's getting into everything um and I was very very impressionable to that um young and you know I, I don't think it's an easy thing to get over either it takes work you have to shift um you have to shift like mental ingrained mental pathways to um overcome an eating disorder it's really really difficult and it's not as simple as um being thin it's about it's about emotional deprivation yeah. and um, a lack of compassion towards yourself. And so I really struggled, particularly when I was trying to get better because I was refeeding myself 
and um and I was you know feeling fuller and but I wasn't necessarily feeling healthier you have to address the uh emotional wounds which I think took a long time because I abandoned myself for so long um in pursuit of this dream I remember I was like final two for this US show called Arrow and I think I was like 58 kilos and I remember when I, uh, I when I, I was in London trying to audition for something and I found out that I didn't get it and I felt I was so thin and so unhappy mm-hmm. that I felt kind of apathetic about winning or losing uh-huh. like when I had heard that I didn't get it and so I think I just when that happened I was like I really never want to feel or put myself here again to get something I think I want, you know, because I, the idea was that once I get this thing, I can kind of start rebuilding myself. Uh, once I please others, I can start sort of um, getting to know um, and showing myself some kind of kindness or like or triumphing or beating this thing, which really was quite an addiction. And then I, I think when I lost and that kind of didn't work, which I think is a sort of a blessing now, I just thought to myself, I really never want to. Um, yeah, treat myself like this or, uh, and yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a massive sort of challenge for me, but I think, um, it was very much about, yeah, like, God, like just confronting like a darkness inside me and learning how to have a conversation with that because of the things that I wanted and, um, and to try and change that. Um, and I don't think it's easy. I don't think ego is um, necessarily a bad word, but um, it has to be moderate and you have to learn to hold on to yourself in really extreme situations. So, um, yeah, I think it's um, it was really difficult, um, but, yeah, it taught me about um, – what I wanted to um, succeed in in a deeper way and also how to be more of a friend to myself, which has helped me be um, more of a friend to others, I think. Very good. Um, Ellie, before I ask my next question, I just want to say that I really appreciate you being so brave and telling that full story. That's really, it's really nice to hear that it sounds like it's been confronted and you're dealing with it in reality rather than just sweeping under the carpet. So, no, no, that's okay. I think it's um, I think it's an important thing to discuss honestly because it is uh, quite a rampant issue that yeah. that a lot of people hold in deep secret, you know. So, we, like, yeah, it, it helps to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are getting a lot out of it. Um, so my next question is: When you were at the depths of your challenges, did you think you had the strength you needed to get through it all? Um, there, I remember when I was like feeling that way in London and I knew that there was a very small part of me that wanted to get well, but I do think, and I don't know, maybe you can, oh no, you're very much glass half full. You're, <laughs> I think you're, you are a very positive person, you know, like you, um, choose the positive way through situations, but I really, for anyone else out there who's kind of not, not, um, innately positive, I hope this is somewhat of a comfort, but I didn't, I knew there was part of me that wanted to become well. uh, And I knew, uh, I think uh, I was in enough. uh, I I, want to say this sort of delicately. I was in so much pain and confusion. I never wanted to feel like that again and would have done anything to help that. And while it necessarily has taken me two and a half to three years to, um, 
learn to sort of nourish myself and really confront that and choose a different way when rejection or, um, you know, problems in my life arise. Um, I just, I just, it's a real testament to how, um, uh, yeah, pain or confusion can be a real teacher, um, in life, you know, like a particularly, particularly early life. I think it can, um, and can teach you, um, compassion, but no, to answer your question, I, I didn't, I knew there was something strong and kind of brutish about me, um, that wanted to push on in certain environments, but really the, the, the massive motivator was how much distress I was in and probably how much, um, damage I had done to my relationships to be brutally honest with you, you know? Um, so that was a huge motivator in terms of me, trying to become well because I didn't really, I felt like things, yeah, I just felt like things couldn't get any worse in a way. And, um, on the exterior, everything seemed like it was going really well. You know, I had a film and I was really, um, getting very close to certain jobs that I thought that I wanted. And I was at like a top tier agency and, you know, things were, things on the uh, exterior looked really good. But yeah, I think it speaks to what I was saying before. You you have to feel well in order to, um, what's the word? Like derive any kind of personal wealth or like nutrients from your life. It doesn't yeah. matter what's going on the outside. You still have to contend with what's going on inside of you, whether you like it or not. So um, yeah, so most, for the most part, I didn't really think I was strong enough to change. And, and they, they say in recovering for anorexia, there are like eight stages and the first, like I wouldn't quote this, I wouldn't confidently quote this, but the first three or four is about wanting to change, like any addiction, wanting yeah. to change but not necessarily knowing how. So there's a lot of, there's that quote from um, King Lear but that's like by indirection you will, we will direction find and I very much think about that in referring to my recovery because it was a process of trying to let go of this huge coping habit and I didn't and and use relationships and sort of connection in place of that, but yeah. I didn't really know how, and I didn't really have the tools to do that. So it felt abrupt and hard, and um, you know, um, very grueling. You know, but I just thought I didn't I didn't want to. It was a process of realizing the value in being well and falling out of love with being ill, rather than going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. Do you know what I mean? It was more, um, it was more, a uh, more of an odyssey, I would say, yeah. than like a sort of straightforward thing. Yeah, yeah. Again, like acting in life, just small, small changes over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you say. Yeah. Now, if you're a, you're a wise person and you seem to have gained more <laughs> wisdom over the last few years, would you like to share any with people who might be in the situation you were in a couple of years ago? To help yeah. them through it right now? Um, I think question your, like, if you're dealing with something personal and um, not feeling very connected to others, I would question your relationships and uh, I would question the people that you're letting close to you and that you're kind of letting in and whether they're being, um, you know, sensitive to you or judicious with the things that are, 
going on inside of you. So whether you have appropriate support, there are incre- there's an incredible foundation called the Butterfly Foundation, which I used yep. when I was really struggling. Um, and they run very, very low-priced kind of workshops for people who I think they run something called an emerging workshop where you are starting to embed skills that will help you um, get out of the situation you're in. And just being in a room with like, you know, five or six other people who felt the way I felt made me feel less, um, what's the word, like less solitary, less separate, you know. I think um, a lot of disorders and addictions thrive on feelings of being separate in society, not like other people, lots of negative, lots of mental illness. Um, They arise there when when people start thinking that they're different, better, worse than anyone else. so I would say that um, I think it really pays to be, and this is trying sometimes, and it it can't, it doesn't, it feels counterintuitive sometimes, particularly when you're dealing with um, something like an eating disorder. But to be compassionate towards yourself uh, every step of the way, considering like I had this, I read this book as a metaphor. It was saying that it's like a Gordian knot, you know, uh, trying to undo sort of the pathways and but you have to be compassionate to yourself in terms of not thinking that you're wholly responsible for the reasons to which you might have an eating disorder you know there are millions of variables in that but also compassionate to yourself in that um you know like it's an illness with the highest mortality rate it's extremely difficult to beat um and to um, the more that you befriend your emotions, the less the disorder has hold and power over you. So um, I would say that. But I think more broadly sort of wisdom in terms of life. I think old friendships are something um, really to nourish and foster throughout yeah. anyone's life, someone who has a long-term um, understanding and context on who you are is valuable. You know, they say if you have three or four really close friends, you're doing incredibly well in your life. Um, If you can't do something that you, um, this was helpful to me in COVID, like I couldn't do the thing that I really like, um, try and do something for someone else. So I did this volunteering program at the Holdsworth Centre and I was like sort of, I wouldn't say looking after her. We just had tea and coffee and chatted and stuff like that. But I used to do like odd jobs for her. But um, I sort of got to know a woman who had that varied and very interesting life, but she struggled with chronic pain and arthritis. And I think that helped me um, learn an appreciation of the fact that I had a young, fit and healthy body. Um, yeah. And what else? I think, um, I think, yeah, Tim Minchin said this is quite interesting. You know, um, empathy is an intuitive trait, but it is something that you can work on intellectually, intellectually and sort of interpersonally. So, you know, I think listening to different perspectives on things and sort of um, being very hard on the way you think and, and consistently questioning the way you think within reason, of course, is such a um, good thing for a young person to do. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know, eat well, play sport, um, fresh air. I don't know. Lots of swim. Well, I'm um, sure plenty of people have <laughs> got plenty out of that. To, uh, I, I, I need to ask you this part about, uh, struggles such as eating disorders. Yeah. Is there mm-hmm. an element of shame, especially in the acting world that you don't want to be the squeaky wheel? Is there an element of, you talked about being nice earlier. 
Is there an element of not wanting to rock the boat and tell people about your struggles and your vulnerabilities that makes it harder? Um, I've experienced this in my life. I think a lot, I think um, honesty has a um, huge impact on people around them. Some people, what it, like it, some people can be quite avoidant or have different responses around um, honesty or different people's approaches to mental illness. So you have to, um, you have to be sort of sensitive and uh, aware of that, that some people, do, some people have a completely different, uh, potentially more closeted way of dealing with things or addressing things or talking about things that are going on inside of them. So, um, Sometimes I think when you are trying to talk about things or have a conversation about things, you can, I and I think particularly when I was younger, um, because I've more or less been, you know, I'm more sort of quite open um, about things or wanted to talk about things with people. Like yeah. um, I've felt um, like how I'm always like quite deep and kind of prodding with you. <laughs> like um <laughs> you know, like I get like I think when I was younger I felt quite um rebuked sometimes in certain situations because people didn't want to disclose themselves to me yeah. um but um I think you know the older you get the more you think um oh that's just kind of their way or it's just like simple boundaries or people don't like to people have their own way of navigating their lives but I but I but um in respect to sort of mental illness yeah I think it's um it's a very hard game being an actor as it is and so I think the it's hard for anyone to feel like they're losing and the work is so piecemeal and the chances are so uh low that you will get ahead and so I think there's a great deal of shame around feeling um depression anxiety um, any kind of mental illness, um, yep. you know, there's, there's also, um, because the work is so hard to come by, um, there is a great deal of shame in terms of speaking up around, um, like discordances in casts or, or like, you know, I think we've seen that in spades with, um, the, uh, sexual harassment cases that have come out in the next, in the last couple of years in terms of, um, in terms of the theatre world or film sets, you know, there's such shame in rocking the boat or um, disrupting um, the flow of things in order to um, adhere to something that you're feeling, you know, um, and a sense of, and because of certain power structures, such a sense of um, an acute sense of, particularly for women, an acute sense of doubt that what they're experiencing is valid. So, um, you, yeah, there is probably maybe an unspoken thing that if you do speak out or if you are, um, you know, more honest or in a way that um, might upset the flow of things or the uh, production values or the production going ahead that you will be seen, and particularly as a woman, like, you know, kind of, more bombastic or untenable or kind of difficult. And I think whilst those things are kind of being more addressed um, at the, like more dealt with in a more hands-on way now, it's it takes time for um, that confidence to um, arise. There are still very old systems um, and like, and, and, you know, kind of systems of thought ingrained and in kind of not saying things or not wanting to speak up. So, yeah, I think so. Very true. Well, Ellie Dodds, you talked about the importance of old friendships earlier. And yes. my life is better because you're one of my old friends. So thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on Everyday Greatness. 
<laughs> it's been an absolute privilege. I feel like I've just um, motor mouth the whole time. But no, I had fun. It was good to talk to you and thank you for those questions. They're very sweet. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fifth year in a row. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And I hope that when you all put your device down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe or Joanne bag of donuts. I hope you can join us next week where I'll be speaking to Australian Paralympic silver medalist Ahmed Kelly about how grateful he is for the opportunities to come to Australia after growing up in an orphanage in Baghdad with severe limb deficiencies. I'll speak to Ahmed about how it felt when he had a silver medal placed around his neck at the Tokyo Paralympic Games. I hope you can join us for that one. But in the meantime, if you'd like to find out more about this show, visit our website, everydaygreatness.com.au or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening today.